It's him. Pick it up. I don't want to. Sarah. No. We have to find out. I don't know if I want to find out anymore. He's gonna hang up. It was one thing when I came back to Etta to get a wrongly convicted man out of prison, but now there's a murder covering it all up? And supposedly everybody's lying about it all? Which, as far as I know, may be a lie itself. Don't let it go to voicemail, Sarah. He might not call back. Hello? You're calling attention to yourself. You're on the right trail. You need to tell me more. Asking questions about this matter isn't safe in Etta. They all lie. They've all lived lies for years. Who are they? Give me that much. If they're going to come after me, knowing who they are... died to keep their lies and secrets from coming out. Don't fool yourself into believing they will pile another corpse on top of their lies to keep them hidden from sight. But who are they? Tell me that much, at least. Who are they? It's like he doesn't listen. You've been getting calls like that for days? No wonder you're freaked out. This one was different. What, he's usually scarier? He gave me no information in that call. He said one man died. Not a name. Not a fact. Every other time, he tells me something. Rufus was innocent. Petra was lying. This call was just a spooky pat on the head. Keep going, but be careful. I'm not following. Neither am I. It's time to ask more questions. Where is Eddie Dial's nearest billboard? I don't know if this is going out to the knowers or not, but I'm going to keep recording, just in case. Strangely for Etta, the street near Eddie Dial's office is parked up, but there is a public lot at the end of the street. Not that getting anywhere in Etta is a long walk. It was one thing when I came back to Etta to get a wrongly convicted man out of prison. But last night, last night I learned a police officer may have been murdered to cover it up. And I've been told everybody is lying about this case. But lying about what? My brother was able to get his editor pal at The Weekly to confirm that real estate Eddie Dial is in fact the Edward Dial who was Rufus's first public defender. It should be one of the next buildings. Bingo. Dial Eddie to sell your house for cash. That's a slogan. Hi, I'm Sarah McNabb. Right, we spoke earlier. I'll let Eddie know you're here. Thanks. Sarah McNabb? Oh, Eddie, I was just about to call you. Ms. McNabb is here for your appointment. Come on back to my office. Good to meet you. Grab a seat. Thanks for seeing me on such short notice. Hopping is not the term I would use right now to describe the real estate market here in, in the nearby counties, so I've got some bandwidth. Let's start easy. Why real estate after law? There's not a ton of legal work to do in a place like Etta. Mostly wills and contracts, but not a whole lot. You get to a point where you either have to move or change your business. You obviously picked change your business. When I was doing law full-time, I was already doing a lot of work for my realtor friends. Writing and rewriting contracts, uh, answering questions, packaging it all myself seemed an easy step to make. Plus, it's probably a trip seeing your face on billboards every four or five miles in any given direction. (laughs) Maybe not every four or five. So, what I came to talk to you about was the work you did as an 
an ETA public defender. Okay, so the first thing to understand is that ETA doesn't actually have a public defender on payroll. There's just not enough work, and ETA doesn't have the budget to keep someone on full-time. I didn't know that, but it makes sense. So like a lot of small towns, they co-opt and sometimes conscript anyone with a law license and assign them to the cases. I actually didn't mind it for the most part. It was my pro bono time as far as I was concerned. Gotcha. How long did you do it? Five, almost six years. And where in that time frame did you get assigned to defend Rufus Nobby? Rufus Nobby. That's a name I haven't thought of in a long time. You mentioned on the phone you grew up here. I did. You must have been a kid when uh, all that happened. Junior high. So what are you trying to find out? I host a true crime podcast. I review cases, narrate events... Recently, I started a live stream for my listeners so we could discuss cases on the show. Your regular Art Bell. Who? <laughs> Showing my age, aren't I? I didn't mean... Don't worry about it. It'll happen to you one day. If I'm lucky. <laughs> what do you want to know about Rufus? I know what I've read in the newspaper accounts from back then. I don't remember anything incorrect running in the news stories. They're news stories. Organized lists of facts. You want the backstage stories? I want the human stories. That's what people want to listen to. Sit back. Relax. Let's see what stories I can come up with. You mind if I record this? Not at all. Okay, let me get this started. The counter's going, and we're good to go. A little piece of free legal advice. You should be getting a release when you do this. Probably, but I don't have a lawyer. Just take note of this language and use it later. I, Edward Patrick Dial, understand and grant permission to be recorded by Sarah McNabb for her podcast titled... Oh, Somebody Knows. Somebody Knows, and I agree that this interview may be used for the podcast and in any derivative works and in other media, in all languages, throughout the world, in perpetuity. Thank you. So, you want to start at the beginning or at the end? <laughs> You're an interesting interviewer. Why start at the end? Another public defender took your place before the trial started. There's a story there. He took my place because I walked away. Tell me about that. Let's start at the beginning. Maybe less edgy and dramatic, but easier to follow. Ada Police had a reputation for mistreating the poor people in the area. Not just the flat-out homeless like Rufus and a couple other indigents that used to drift through from time to time but some of the just plain needy who lived here. Mistreat how? Harassing them when they were in town, following them, stopping and questioning them, sometimes even frisking them. You represented some of them. Getting them out of jail, pleading down the ridiculous charges they were sometimes hit with. Where are people in those situations supposed to go? And Rufus Nobby? This town was lit up when word came out that Petronovic had been abducted in her own car at Knife Point. I felt like a miracle when Tom Novak brought her home. Relatively unhurt. She was stabbed. In the shoulder. You have kids? No. With everything that could have happened, all the bad ways it could have turned out, trust me, a lot of parents would be relieved at that outcome. I hadn't thought of it that way. The police had gotten word Rufus had been seen in Scottsville, sent a few officers out to look for him, and they uh, found him and brought him back. That's when you were called. I was called after they'd been interrogating him for almost 11 hours. Egregious violation as far as I was concerned. They said Rufus agreed to it. Never asked for an attorney. But Rufus had already been declared incompetent. You've been doing your homework. Yes, he legally couldn't consent, but Rufus, for all his mental and behavioral issues, he never wavered. He outlasted four cops through that interrogation. Played all their games, but 
never admitted to anything regarding Petronovac. Is he that out of it? That stubborn? He's got this focus to him, and, the, and his gaze. This is what made him so scary to some people. You don't think he's dangerous? Oh, I think Rufus would be far better off in some kind of care facility, not prison. But the world he lives in doesn't always align with ours. He'd benefit living someplace that could keep him out of trouble. So why not get him admitted somewhere? Because <laughs> he won't go. For the same reason that he'll serve his full sentence with no chance of parole. Why? The parole board requires that a prisoner show remorse in order to be eligible. And Rufus has never demonstrated any inkling of remorse. And never will. But he's already been convicted. If it would get him out earlier... I already told you. His reality doesn't always line up with ours. He knows he didn't do anything. And even if saying he's sorry would set him free right on the spot, he'll never say it. It's part of that scary intensity. Which is what made him the right person to blame, wasn't it? I don't think I understand your question. You weren't just defending Rufus to protect his rights. You believed he was innocent. There was no DNA, no fingerprints. There were no witnesses. Where was the proof? I don't know who abducted young Miss Novak, but it wasn't Rufus Nobby. And you walked away from the case ten days before the trial commenced. I did. What changed your mind? Nothing changed my mind about Rufus. He was innocent, in my opinion, but he was also his own worst witness. I could count on him to say he didn't do it, but any more than that. Do you know why he was a drifter? I assume because he couldn't hold down a job or pay for a place to live. Rufus believed he was being spied upon. And if he went home to the same place every day, they'd know where he was. Who were they? I don't know. And neither did Rufus. He, he told me once they were watching him, waiting for him to have a vulnerable moment and take him. For what? To implant things in his body to make him easier to watch and uh, ultimately control him. Holy... Prison for him has to be... A personal vision of hell. Made real. You have no idea how many alternative arrangements I worked on offering the court as a better solution for him. I've seen some of the records. He was incompetent, unable to consent. There was an officer at Scottsville who said he saw him there the afternoon he was supposed to be abducting Petronovac. That was never admitted into the record. No, it wasn't. Somebody wanted him locked up. Maybe. More accurately, someone uh, wanted the trial and the investigation to go on. I'm not following. The whole thing could have ended relatively quickly. He was already declared incompetent. I wanted him to get help, but there was pressure. Pressure? Who? Pause your recorder. I don't know if I should. Please. Recording stopped. Rufus is innocent of this. I had no doubt then, and I have no doubt now. He needed care, and I wanted him to get it. Getting him examined... Putting the right paperwork in front of a judge, it would have been quick. That's not what others wanted. They wanted to drag it out. A prolonged investigation and a trial. For what? Mr. Dial, for what? I wouldn't do that. Couldn't do that. So I made the appropriate excuses and got myself replaced on the case. And you went into real estate. I almost moved away. But Edda is home. I don't understand. Who benefits from a vagrant going to trial? You've done a lot of homework. I suggest you do a little more. Read up on the police union in Etta, particularly in the weeks before the abduction. What am I looking for? You'll know when you see it. This has been very helpful, Mr. Dial. Eddie. Eddie. One more thing. You've been the only person to really give me any insight on Rufus Nobby. 
I'm not family, and Rufus doesn't know me, so my odds of getting a response from him are... You want to interview Rufus? Yes. Leave me your card. I still know a few people. Maybe Rufus remembers me. Let me see what I can do. Thank you. You do know what happens when you start poking around a hornet's nest. The hornets come out. Don't get stung. Knowers, this started as a wrong man case with some unfortunately not uncommon prosecutorial misconduct to cut through. Now it appears more and more to be a conspiracy with roots that reach back decades, one with all the inherent danger of when people with secrets, people in power, will do whatever they can to prevent those secrets from being uncovered. It scares me, and why is my car tilted like that? Great, I've got a flat. Two flats? What did I hit? The sidewalls slashed. And what the hell happened to my windshield? Lindy, it's me. Someone vandalized my car while I was interviewing Eddie Dial. Yes, I'm sure. The sidewalls are slashed wide open on both tires on the driver's side. And it looks like somebody took a sledgehammer to my windshield. Yeah, I'm at that public lot at the end of Oak Street. No, I didn't call the police. I called you. Hang on, there's a police cruiser slowing down. Probably sees me freaking out. Hello? Officer? Sarah. CJ, am I glad to see you? Someone vandalized my car. Let's have a look. This is Unit 2. I've got a 1062. 10-4, Unit 2. These have been slashed. I know. I'm going to need a tow. They busted out your windshield, too. Right. I don't know who to call an Etta for this, so if you can tell me... What are you doing out here today? Oh, I had a meeting just up the street, and this was the closest parking I could find. For how long? The meeting? It wasn't more than an hour. So it was okay an hour ago? Well, I didn't drive it over here in this condition. Sarah, I'm making a determination. I know. This is really stressing me. Understandable. But this isn't just some kid thinking it's funny tearing up property to be annoying. It's somebody. This is a message. What What do you mean? It's not like you were parked here all day, and the car is clearly visible from the road. Not a good target for random damage. You're probably right. You haven't done anything to piss anyone off since you got back, have you? I've only been back a couple days. Some people work fast. With things like this happening, you'd best start watching yourself. What are you trying to say? Sarah! Just that an incident like this is usually the start of something, not the end of it. Sarah! Did you just run here from your shop? Hey, CJ. What luck you were here when Sarah needed help. Yeah, Sarah. You called and you sounded really distressed. So I locked the door and I just dashed over. Not that far, really. If you want to hop in the patrol car, Sarah, I can bring you in to file a report. Oh, probably I should. You know what? For uh, for the insurance company, why don't we get a bunch of pictures here? And CJ, we'll, uh, we'll meet you over at the police station in a bit. How's that sound, Sarah? Like, like a plan to me. Can't really argue with more documentation. I'll head in and meet you over there. Cool. We'll be... We'll be right over. Thanks, CJ. See you at the station. This is Unit 2. 
Calling in at 1019. 10-4, Unit 2. See you shortly. Was that Tom Novak on the radio? Smile and wave. What was that? What's going on with CJ? I don't want to talk about it here. What exactly have you stirred up, Sarah? I wish I knew. Somebody Knows Episode 5, Attorney-Client Privilege, was written by Patrick Dorsey, with performances by Sarah Collette Campbell, Alex Fugner, Grace Minnis, Zach Farmer, and Clayton Beery. Directed by Patrick Dorsey and Baron Smith. Executive Producers, Scott Crosby and Aaron Goodenough. Producer, Patrick Pelham. Music by Albert Sanchez. Audio Engineer, Daniel Williams. Somebody Knows was created by Scott Crosby and Patrick Dorsey. Somebody Knows is a production of Bar Down Productions. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And drop us a five-star rating and review. And no worse. Thanks for listening. Wandered around and finally found the somebody who could make me be true, could make me feel blue.